0: Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today. To help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And today I have a very special guest, Dr. Chris Zink, who is a sports medicine specialist and many times author and very, very passionate about the physical health and well-being of our dogs. And Chris and I are going to talk today about how do we exercise our young dogs? everybody got a new dog in the last year, like everybody. (laughs) So we want to give people some great ideas about how puppies grow, about how to exercise them appropriately and when and why. So welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Always glad to talk to you.
0: I love it. You are one of my favorite guests. So Chris, talk to us. We've got all these pandemic puppies out there. How are these puppies growing? What are their joints going through? And how does that affect what and how we exercise them?
1: Well, it's actually really interesting because dogs have such great structural differences. You know, I mean, a puppy could grow into a three pound chihuahua or a Great Dane, 150 pounds. And so dogs are so incredibly varied that as they grow, we have to be cognizant of what their growth rate is and how big they're going to end up to be. So it's a little bit different from looking at how children grow, but how children grow is our best sort of comparable, okay. the best way we can think about it. Because sometimes we might compare dogs. We often compare dogs, for example, to horses, which is a little bit ridiculous because they're such different creatures. Dogs structurally are much more alike like children growing up and so it's important to kind of make that comparison because we need to think about how we might at any given time in a puppy's life we want to be thinking about what is the best thing to do for them at that time and of course we know we know that exercise is important the data are out there that exercising children at least and to some extent we've got some data in dogs a little bit less that we know that Proper exercise gives healthier, stronger bones, muscles, cartilage, you know, all those body parts. We know from studies that dogs that get appropriate exercise have less hip dysplasia, which is really important. We know that proper exercise creates dogs that develop healthier hearts and lungs. They have better balance and coordination, so they're not going to be as likely to get injured because they are doing the right thing with their body. Actually, with children, we know that exercise improves self-confidence and helps their learning and gives them better overall lifetime health. I don't know why that wouldn't apply to dogs, too. So all of those things are important to think about when we think about exercise for puppies. Now, the problem comes as I see it, that, you know, we have people that have ideas that are at way extremes. Like we have people that believe you should not exercise puppies at all. You should put them in a little bottle and keep them there until they're grown up. With bubble
0: wrapping, bubble wrapping they need. No (laughs)
1: bubble wrapping. And then, but at the other extreme are people who way over exercise their dogs and take it to an extreme that actually can cause injury. So we have to have a balance there, but that balance needs to Take into account the ultimate size and shape of that dog's body, which is a little bit different from humans because humans all end up a lot more similar than dogs do. So, you're
0: talking about proper and appropriate exercise. So, let's say I've just brought home my new eight week old puppy and it's running and tumbling, and I want to take it for a walk. Let's start there and kind of progress. And let's say my puppy is sort of a medium size, going to be maybe 50 pounds.
1: Okay. So you've got an eight week old puppy you just brought home. So let's think about types of exercise dogs can have. We all think about taking dogs for walks, but there's many more other kinds of exercise. And then I want to talk a little bit about how to take a dog for a walk too, because I think that's important. But if you think about baby puppies, they're doing all kinds of, you know, they're running and tumbling and rolling around and playing with us and playing tug or playing with our other dogs. if We haven't. So there's all that balance and body awareness stuff that's happening, which we're not even thinking about it as exercise, but it is. Right. And then there's stretching and their flexibility. We've seen little puppies stretch. They come out of their crate and they stretch their arms forward and they stretch their legs back so we can help them become better stretchers, which is also important. And then we have strength exercise things like moving the body over through different resistance. So, for example, I mean, strength exercise in humans, the obvious one is weightlifting. Well, you know, dogs don't have opposable thumbs, so they're not going to pick up the barbell. But what they do do is they use their body as the weight and they move it over short distances. When that happens, they're doing strength training and we can help them with that. There's also endurance training, like longer distance, going for walks at a trot or long distance. And then there's the other things we might be training them. We might be training them to sit and stay and down. And that's all types of exercise too. So, And then there's the last one, which we call good for the soul exercise. It's the getting out in nature and paddling through the little creek and walking up and down hills with stones and rubble and going through grass and sniffing and all that. So that's really another type of exercise too. So there's a lot more to it than just taking the dog for a walk. We want to give our dogs a lot of all of those kinds of exercises, except they need to be done at the proper ages. And those proper ages, we can give some general ideas about that. So you have a baby puppy, he's eight weeks old, you want to take him for a walk. That walk should be a saunter. He should be on a long line, like at least 20 feet. It should be kind of loose. And you should be following around as he sniffs the trees and he sniffs the flowers and he eats a little bit of grass and he pees on a tree. And that's all really, really important, rather than taking him on a batan death march where he goes at a certain trot all the way down. You know, I mean, I think of it as the puppy walking me, not me walking the puppy. Absolutely. That's the way that it should be. And we should all think about that. I mean, you know, we want to get exercise ourselves. So sometimes we kind of drag our dogs along on that. And it may not be particularly enjoyable to the dog unless if that's all they get, then they're going to look like they're enjoying it because they're actually getting out. But try to think of it from your dog's point of view. They'd like to be able to stop and sniff. And I see nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it's very, very good for them. And that's that good for the soul component we want to be sure to include from the time we get that little baby puppy home. Right. And the other two parts of the exercise types that we want to include at that age are balance and proprioception so you know you have a garden and you have railway ties around the garden maybe encourage the dog to walk along the railway ties playing with other dogs and playing with you roughhousing you know that's all and putting them on little things that move are all really good for puppies and the other thing is the flexibility and stretching now we don't want to ever take our dog's legs and stretch them ourselves by grabbing them and pulling on them at, at all we never want to do that but what we do want to do is give them exercise that will cause them to stretch on their own things like standing on their hind legs and reaching up for something with their paws or even with their neck standing on their hind legs will give them a hind leg stretch you know where they stand up on your knee or on the edge of a chair or something like that and giving them treats so all of those are the kinds of exercises that little puppies get. They need to have time to explore the world.
0: Right. One of the most fabulous images I ever saw, and I mean, we know this as dog breeders, you kind of know it in the back of your head, but when you see it in black and white, an x-ray of a baby puppy where they're... The, oh, it's the, amazing, isn't it? There's nothing they're not exactly connected anything to anything. They're put together with rubber bands. I mean, like yeah. seriously. And I think that is so important for people to understand. You know, those little bones are like literally not connected.
1: (laughs) Right. So we're not going to worry about joint disease in a baby puppy because there are no joints yet. Yes, yes. But of course, as they begin to develop around four to six months, they'll start to have joints that we can see and or even maybe a little earlier than that, depending on the size of the puppy. And joints are one of the things we want to protect because they're a moving part. Mm -hmm. And yet, we don't want to put the puppy in a little bubble wrap and never let it come out until it's a full grown adult because we know that's not appropriate. So here's the thing Dr. Gail Watkins, also a member of Good Dog, and I have looked extensively at the literature because what we want is we want to have evidence basis for what we recommend. That's yeah. really, really important. It turns out there's no evidence that we could find anywhere where it's been studied what you should do. With puppies specifically, with a couple of exceptions. And one was a study that came out of Norway, I believe it was, where they looked at puppies that were allowed to run over hilly terrain with stones and a little bit of rough terrain, et cetera. And they compared them to puppies that didn't have as much exercise. And the ones that were allowed to run over rough terrain had much better hip scores when they were adults, so much less likelihood of hip dysplasia. And so appropriate exercise and appropriate amounts of exercise is what we really want to do with our dogs. And so probably right around six months of age is when you can add actual strength training to those puppies. So as little puppies up until six months of age, they need to explore. They need to run around. They need to run over that rough terrain Mm -hmm. and have those experiences, but not under a controlled basis where we are saying, "Okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to build muscle on you. Right. I'm going to make you stronger now. That doesn't happen until six months of age. But actually, other than that paper, there's very little out there about exactly what we should do at what age. So here's what Gail and I did. We looked at all the references we could find and all the recommendations we could find for human children. There's lots of that out there. So the World Health Organization, the governments of Australia, Canada, the United States, New Zealand, Britain have all published recommendations for exercises in children. And it's really, really interesting because their recommendations are all the same. They all recommend that children up to about six years of age get three hours of active exercise a day, running around like little maniacs. Um, So- Making us all crazy, Yes. yes. But you know that's so important for growth and development. But they don't tell you, take that kid to a gym and make him work out. Right, put them on a weight bench. Yeah, these little kids are running around and playing and roughhousing and rolling down hills and all the things that kids do. So how do we know what are the equivalent ages in puppies? Because that's kind of important to know. And so what we also did was we looked at how puppies grow, puppies that are gonna end up at different sizes to see how they grow. Right. And essentially what we came up with is that Puppies up to about six months of age, regardless of how big they're going to end up, they're just like kids up to about 10 to 12 years of age. By six months, they're like the equivalent of 10 to 12 years of age. Okay, good. And so we know that they need lots of that kind of fun, games, running around like maniacs type of exercise until six months of age. Now at six months of age, they start to diverge. And they mature more slowly if they're going to end up as a really big dog. And they mature more quickly if they're going to end up as a small dog. But all dogs at about six months can start getting actual strength training exercises where you do, it really looks like tricks. I mean, you can have your dog sit up on his haunches and beg for food and paw the air and all kinds of exercises that they can do that are actually directed to build strength, but they're still fun. There's still food involved. So the dogs are going to do it. Right. You know, but what we also want to be sure is that we don't overdo it. So how do we know what does it mean to overdo it? And so overdoing it would be any time that you're doing a repetitive action that's longer distance, like road work. Right. So if any of you show in confirmation, it always amazes me. You go to a specialty like our Golden Retriever specialty. And what I see is that people bring golf carts and they've got dogs on leash on either side of the golf cart and they're trying them around and they're trying them for half an hour around the parking lot. And all I can think to myself is, why are we doing this? You know, (laughs) some of these are puppies, their bodies haven't matured yet. And it's an exercise that's very repetitive and long term. We don't want to ever do that with dogs younger than. 14 months of age, which is when growth plates will have closed. But if the dog is spayed or neutered, we have to wait till 20 months of age.
0: Oh, no, that's an
1: interesting piece of information. Talk to me more about that. So we know that the hormones in the testes and the ovaries help the growth plates to mature and close. So what are the growth plates for anybody that's not sure what those are? They're little soft areas of the bone where new bone is being made. So the bone is elongating. And when the dog matures and comes into puberty, which happens, you know, about 12 to 14 months of age at the latest, those bones stop growing. That's why we don't grow forever. And that's why puppies don't grow into great big horses. And so those are soft areas that are beside really hard areas. So they're at risk for injury. And if they do get injured, then the bones become deformed. So we want to be sure those growth plates don't get injured. So we don't want to do something that's repetitive, especially not concussive. So road work is concussive. There's all this impact. boom, Treadmills. All the time. (laughs) Treadmills, same thing. Even though treadmills maybe are softer than pavement, but it's that repetition. It's the dog's weight always hitting the ground. The cool thing is we can do lots of exercises with our dogs that don't require much impact at all. And the other thing about road work is... Unless you have a treadmill, you got to do it outside so you're restricted by weather. And so if it's too hot or it's too cold or it's icy or it's wet, all those things are going to impair the exercise. Well, we don't have to care about that because we're going to do exercise indoors. That's a lot like trick training. I love it. I love the AKC trick titling program Yes, because it's getting people and you can do it indoors and you can do it virtually and send in your videos. I mean, it's wonderful. You can teach your dog to sit up and beg, which by the way, even though some people might have told you it's dangerous for the dog, there's actually been a study in dogs showing that a dog that is sitting up and begging has only one third of the pressure on its spine than a dog going up a set of stairs.
0: Now, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, that was done in 1992. Hmm. They looked at the actual amount of pressure on the spine. So everybody, if you want your dog to sit up and beg, do it. It's great for them. It's not dangerous. and you It's know, core. Here's... We all want to build core strength, right? Absolutely. Isn't that a thing? And haven't you seen little baby puppies sitting up on their haunches nursing from mom? Yes, they're it's doing it at five weeks of age. It's not right. dangerous. But lots of other things, too, like having your dog do high fives, having your dog do waves. Great. Front leg strengthening exercise. What about bow? Isn't that a good stretching exercise? Play bow is a great stretching exercise. Great. And you know, you can have your dog play bow. And then what you can do is you can put a little trail of food along the ground. So they play bow and move forward and keep stretching along to get the food. Command I mean, so many... Yeah, that's right. So uh, lots of ways to make this fun for the dog. And it's not like they have to go to the gym and suffer through... <laughs> all this, which I just did this morning. So I'm thinking
0: about that. I I know I had my walk this morning too. So, (laughs) okay. So let's talk a little bit. We've talked about the size differences and slower maturing large dogs, more quickly maturing small dogs. Can we talk a little bit about some of the statistics and the research that's been done about obesity in dogs and why once they are past that 14 months for an intact dog or 20 months for an altered dog, that regular exercise is so important and obesity is so bad. Can we talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes, we can. So obesity in dogs is the same as obesity in humans in the sense that it creates, there's a number of things. I'm going to talk about the two main things. Number one, of course, there's much more pressure on the bones and joints, which if possible, we would like to avoid. But the other thing is that body fat is an organ. It's actually believed we should consider it like an organ. And that organ is creating a great deal of small molecules that are pro-inflammatory. And they create this pro-inflammatory environment in the body. These little small molecules go out. They meet all the other cells in the body. And they say to the cells in the body, get ready because something's probably going to happen here. So rev yourself up. And so all the cells in the body are kind of in a revved up state. Well, we don't want that. And actually, I just, this morning, I read an article that looked at all of the reviews of studies that they've done, the best studies they've done, looking at obesity and the pro-inflammatory response and what it really does. What's the evidence for having a pro-inflammatory environment in the body? And the two best evidences are, number one, heart disease, number two, cancer. Mm. I mean, there are breeds that are particularly prone to heart disease, such as Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Many of the smaller breeds are quite prone to heart disease. And of course, many of the larger breeds are much more prone to cancer than the smaller breeds. And so we got all the breeds covered when we're thinking heart disease and cancer. Right. So that's a reason that we really love to control obesity. And of course, exercise is a great way to help to control obesity, to use up those calories that the dog is ingesting. Of course, the other way is diet, and that's a whole other... That's a whole whole another
0: podcast, man.
1: (laughs) Yes. But I was really pleased to read that article today because I think that that summarizes for us very much the importance of controlling our dog's body weight. And I guess the other thing that I'd like to mention is that the evidence is also very strong that when a dog loses its gonads, so spayed or neutered by removal of the gonads, and that's the ovaries or the testes, then the dog's metabolic rate declines by about 30 to 40%. So mm-hmm. that means they need 30 to 40% less calories coming in or they will become obese. Yes. And I think a lot of people don't get warned about that and don't realize that.
0: And they it's something to, that you uh, see so frequently. Yes. We think of it as the old spay female situation. And speaking right. as one, <laughs> it is. It is a real issue and it is important that we are aware of that, I think, and that we continue that exercise program because the study that I saw that was really shocking to me was the number of years that are just literally shaved right off your dog's life.
1: Absolutely. Two to two and a half years shorter lifespan right. of a dog that's right. obese. That's the bottom line. That's the studies there's that's the sciencey. <laughs> yep. Wow. That's crazy. Wouldn't all of us love to have our dog for two to two and a half years longer?
0: Right. Exactly. I think of it as loving our dogs to death. I see these dogs that, oh, I just want to give him a cookie. Oh, I just want to, you know, he needs the, no,
1: (laughs) no. No. And I think the other thing is, you know, I'm a little bit surprised by the fact that we all recognize, you know, you see a fat child and you think to yourself, oh, what a shame. We should try to get that child healthy but we don't feel the same about our dogs. How come we have a disconnect? Yeah. And mm-hmm. people see fat puppies and they think it's such, oh well, it's so cute. Something's wrong with our perception there. Right. You know?
0: Right. Okay. So once they're past that age, final wrap up here, once they're past the age, all their growth plates are closed. They're ready to go are we still going to avoid the concussive and roadwork? Or can we add that into an existing strength training, flexibility training
1: like that? Yeah, excellent question. So I believe you have to think about why are we adding in the roadwork? What are we trying to accomplish? If the dog is going to compete in a performance event that requires that. So for example, there's a performance event with Dalmatians where they have to run 25 miles with a person on horseback. I can tell you that
0: wire-haired pointers, any other pointing breeds that are running in horseback field trials, most of them are literally roadworked at a gallop because they have to be able to run
1: for an hour at top speed. So then that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But does every dog need that? When we think about how it's concussive, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're thinking about the sports events, just as a way of looking at this formally, you look at agility, obedience, rally even coursing, all of these kinds of activities, dock diving, I mean, I could Mm -hmm. list them. They all involve strength. They require strength, but they don't involve endurance. Right. Now, the sports that really do require endurance are field trials and hunt tests, Mm -hmm. herding for border collies, not herding Mm -hmm. for the other breeds because that's much shorter distances, and mushing. Mm -hmm. And so unless you have a dog that participates in one of those activities, I don't really see the benefit of road work. Now, there are people who are runners and they love to have a dog companion running with them. Mm-hmm. And that's great if they want to do that, but they should have a dog of the right breed and size and energy level to do that. Yes. You probably wouldn't want to do that with a pug. <laughs> no, I mean- I have a pug that uh, would <laughs>
0: think it was fabulous, but no. I
1: think <laughs> a wire hair or pointer. pointer or something right. that runs long distance. I mean, even greyhounds don't run long distances they're like cheetahs you know they run a really short distance very fast
0: right i mean you think about the endurance trotting breeds you think about like a ridgeback yes uh, a rhodesian ridgeback that that was its job was to trot along for miles and miles and miles and miles as they were traveling and hunting in africa so i think that that's really important for us to understand that yes you can go jogging with your dog after the appropriate age but that they don't actually require that unless they're competing in a specific type of event.
1: Exactly. And if you do decide to do that, try to do it in a place where your dog won't be running on pavement. So there are neighborhoods that don't have sidewalks. That's ideal because you can run on the pavement and have the dog beside you on the grass. Mm -hmm. There are, of course, tracks which have a grassy infield Mm -hmm. and you can run on the track and the dog can be running on the infield. Try to think of ways to arrange it that the dog doesn't have to experience the same concussion as you. Because you can put your body through whatever you want. I don't care, but <laughs> I do care about
0: what happens to the You're dog. You're making choices for yourself, but you know the dog is not getting to make the same choice. So exactly. I think choose wisely for our pets is something that we can all get on board with.
1: Right. We need to be our dog's best advocate in every way. Yes. We need to think about the effect of them the effect on them of what we're asking them to do. And I have to tell you, I mean, the mental, the emotional effect of exercise is fantastic for dogs. And so it's not something we want to avoid. We just want to do it intelligently.
0: Perfect. Chris, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. And I know that our listeners do as well. Always love
1: talking with you, Laura.
0: Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join or click the link in the show notes.